Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss Shutter Island. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. Anthony here. James here, and we have a special episode for you. We're going to be talking about Shutter Island. This came out in 2010, directed by the great Martin Scorsese. Screenplay by Laeda Calagridis on IMDb. This is an 8.2. It's number 154 on the all-time movie list on IMDb. This is Paramount Pictures, currently on Netflix for streaming, based on the book by Dennis Lehane, who is from Boston, M.A., Massachusetts. He wrote, he wrote the town get. No, he didn't. No, the, he, he the also Prince wrote of Thieves. No, 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 no. I got it wrong. Yeah, you got it wicked wrong. Oh man, wicked wrong, wicked Anthony. Wrong guy. Dennis Lehane also wrote Gone Baby Gone and Mystic River. He didn't write the book The Town is based off of. That was Chuck Hogan. Oh, who you're wrote right. the book Prince of Thieves. You're right. And so Shutter Island is about in 1954, the implausible escape of a brilliant murderer brings U.S. Marshal. Teddy Daniels and his new partner to Ashcliff Hospital, a fortress-like insane asylum located on a remote, windswept island. The woman appears to have vanished from a locked room, and there are no hints of, and there are hints of terrible deeds committed within the hospital walls. As the investigation deepens, Teddy realizes he will have to confront his own dark fears if he hopes to make it off the island alive. This is definitely one of Scorsese's most underrated movies. I mean, it has great ratings now, but like when it came out, it didn't it didn't get nominated for anything. Critics weren't really too generous to it. And also, DiCaprio is so freaking good in this movie. It's one of his best performances. He does so much in this role. Uh, I think that, again, the horror genre gets a little overlooked by the Academy voters. Um, hence the reason why not any major awards or nominations for this film. But it is, without a doubt, one of the, the best horror films, one of the best psychological horror films of the last c- couple of decades it's really fantastic, visually stunning. One of Scorsese's most beautifully shot films. Uh, incredible production design and just a, a terrific cast as well. Yeah, it's hard to say like that it's underrated because it had a really good box office. It made 284 off 80 million. Again, it's a top 154 movie on IMDb, 8.2 user rating. But Rotten Tomatoes, like you said, critically is 68%. Which 68? Is, which is pretty good. But like for a Martin Scorsese movie and for Shutter Island, this movie this, this movie's exceptional. It's dark. It's like a great genre mashup. It's like it's mystery, horror. It's a prison movie. Psychological thriller is kind of like a ghost story too at times. Um, even a Holocaust story, you can never even look at. You can even look at Shutter Island as a monster movie in a lot of ways. It's haunting and it's got an incredible twist, which we won't reveal yet. If you haven't seen Shutter Island or read the book, recommend stop the podcast like now. <laughs> Go check the movie out again. It's on Netflix to stream if you have that, and check it out because. This is one of those movies you don't want to know the ending before going into it. Yeah, and we if you haven't seen it, we highly recommend you watch it. It's one of our favorite movies of the last couple of decades. It's one of the best collaborations between Scorsese and DiCaprio, and they've just made great films. It's like, and I think the, one of the reasons why it kind of gets a little forgotten is because his filmography is so amazing, and Shutter Island just kind of gets a, maybe put in the shadow of his even more monumentally great films. 
like is it's top ten Scorsese. Oh, but like so isn't yeah. like Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Casino, Taxi Driver, The Departed. There's so many <laughs> movies that are on that list. The Wolf of Wall Street that you would probably put ahead of Shutter Island. Yeah. So you kind of forget about it. Yeah, but also I mean you could argue for Shutter Island being even ahead of some of them. Um, upon repeat viewings, this movie gets better and better, and he's always. Uh, it's not so much he's avoided horror in his career, Scorsese and both DiCaprio, but I just think that for horror, for Scorsese, he's he was probably always looking for just a really great story and script. Uh, you could say Bringing Out the Dead has some horror elements to it, but it's more of just like, a, again, a psychological thriller with horror elements to it in, in scary filmmaking-esque visually, but this is the closest thing he's done to a horror movie in his entire career. Well, I mean, he's made dark movies in the past. I mean, Cape yeah. Fear, you could say yeah. that's a horror movie for mm-hmm. sure. Like you said, Bringing Out the Dead. Taxi Driver is very dark. It's not a horror movie, but it's a dark thriller. Silence is very dark at points. So for most people who think that Scorsese only makes mafia mob movies, he's made so many movies. He's made several dark movies that have nothing to do with the mob. Yeah. But they, And they have horrific elements in exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. And Scorsese, he loves horror. It's his favorite genre of film. And he, there's a quote that he said, if you don't understand or appreciate horror films, you don't understand cinema in a sense. So I think that this is probably his most horror-esque film he's made. Well, because fear is the most primal instinct of human beings. And being able to elicit fear is uh, a challenge for filmmakers. And that's one of the reasons why horror films are so thrilling for audiences because of the, the, our, our reactions to fear and being scared and it elicits so many chemical reactions within us, which is why we in, we like to endure horrific imagery on screen. You know, you get that endorphin rush. It's kind of addicting to like be like a fan of horror. You're you're putting yourself through terrifying situations, and you know, um, and the illusion of something terrifying happening happening to you. And it's like you put yourself like when you watch a horror movie. You personally, you squirm in your seat. Why you get a single meal? You get scared. Plenty you're of right other, here. There are plenty of other people in this room that you could talk to. Am I wrong, though? <laughs> oh, I get terrified. Yeah, but I what, throw pillows and yeah, everything. It's a terrible experience, but you keep doing it. Why? It's like hot sauce. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your, your mind and your body you, and enjoys it ultimately. And also, you get that rush. And when it's all over, you're like satisfied and happy that, you know, nothing terrible happened to you really, but you got the experience of it. It's a captivating way of telling stories. In storytelling, I mean, ghost stories and scary stories, like it's the it's as old as time in, in civilization, you know what I mean, for human beings. And storytelling is going back thousands and thousands of years. Thousands. Movies are the best form of storytelling. But horror movies and scary stories, ghost stories, that's what you always told with your friends. Like, you're at a sleepover, you're at a, around a campfire, you tell ghost stories because that's the most interesting story to listen to and be in, tuned into. And when we go see horror movies, we're looking to get scared in a new way. We're looking, like, when I go to a horror movie, I'm like, okay, what's this going to do to really scare me? I'm, I look forward to the scare. And this film is, the first time you see it, it is really scary. And it's a testament to... Both the screenplay, the performances, and also Scorsese's directing is just really terrific. It's it's some of his mi- most dynamic, terrific editing by um, Thelma Shoemaker, his his uh, uh, former editor, rest in peace. She did a terrific job, especially with the flashback sequences, the dream sequences, and also you know depicting mental health and mental illness. He Scorsese really brought you into the the experience of Teddy Daniels. 
through the visual filmmaking. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com where you get awesome perks like our podcast schedules. So you would have known that Shutter Island was posting today, personalized videos, Patreon shouts on the show, as well as weekly bonus episodes. And our Godfather tier gets another bonus episode every month as well. We just launched our podcast masterclass online course. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or just go to our website, raidersofthelostpodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. You can also see all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening. Thanks so much for tuning around the world. Hit the notification bells and let's get back into Shutter Island. I think, uh, what do you think about spoiling the twist right now? Yeah, how about we'll talk about some production stuff? Well, actually, let's just go into it. You know what? So here's the spoiler warning. We're going to be telling you what's happening in this movie. Yeah. It's in this movie. So if you haven't seen if you haven't seen the movie, go watch right now. Go watch right now. All right. So let's reveal the twist and then we can discuss the movie in depth. Yeah, you're right. Let's Cuz it's that. more interesting to discuss it after the fact of knowing the twist. So Leonardo DiCaprio plays this US Marshal, Teddy Daniels, who thinks he's investigating a missing prisoner or patient at this facility, this research facility, this mental health facility, which he thinks they're doing experimental uh, drugs and treatments on patients just like he thinks like what was happening in Nazi Germany is happening here on Shutter Island. He thinks the Nazis are working in this camp. And so this, yeah, he's trying to blow the lid off this whole place and tell everyone, oh, no, it's all evil stuff going on here. But really, Teddy is himself a patient in this hospital. His name isn't even Teddy Daniels. His name is Andrew Latus. His wife killed, drowned their children in, the, in their lake, and then he killed his wife. And he's used this, he created this incredible fantasy of being this U.S. Marshal, still being a U.S. Marshal, he's Teddy Daniels trying to solve this case to hide the fact that he did commit this horrific act and that his wife killed their children. Yeah, he and he murdered he murdered his wife because she drowned their children, and he blames himself for the children's death more than his wife because he knew that she was seriously mentally disturbed, and he ignored it. He didn't. He never sought out treatment for her, and he decided to just run away from it all. He he dove into work, became workaholic and, not, and an alcoholic to forget and avoid what was going on with his wife. Therefore, he blames himself for his children's death. And because of that, he is unable to mentally face that fact. And like you said, he's created this entire uh, new role play for himself, being a different uh, U.S. Marshal of a different name. And then the doctors of this facility, um, the Ben Kingsley character, Dr. Colley, he has invented an entire role play that the entire facility will be undergoing for this film as a way of trying to break um, uh, Andrew Latus out of this delusion of being Teddy Daniels. His real name is Andrew Latus. And so this entire plot has all been set up for Andrew to basically come to his senses in reality. And if it doesn't work, then he faces the risk of being lobotomized. So this is a last-ish effort by his doctors to cure him. It's a really genius plot, really terrific. And, you know, when you find out the twist at the end, it's it's incredible. And so everything about the movie ties into this mental delusions, this, this psychosis that Teddy has put himself into that has taken over his mind. And Scorsese, with the production of this movie, all the elements that you see going on, it's him putting the audience in Teddy Daniels' shoes. So 
There's a lot of green screen in this movie, miniatures, matte paintings, digital sets, weather effects to try to illustrate what's going on in Teddy's mind. There are over 650 special effects shots in this film alone. Which is very high for a Scorsese yes, movie since it, the Aviator. Yeah. And so what, what Scorsese's doing is, you know, most directors, they'll use special effects like in a Marvel movie, DC, superheroes, Mission Impossible. They'll, they'll use special, not actually not anymore. <laughs> Tom is really <laughs> jumping off planes and No stuff. computers allowed on a so Mission Impossible scratch that. set. Sorry, Tommy. See, I know you're listening. I didn't mean to shut you out there. <laughs> <laughs> He's our top tier patron. But they'll make these directors and filmmakers, they're trying to make the impossible seem real with visual effects and CGI. But in Shutter Island, Scorsese is using special effects and CGI to make things seem not real, showing the mind of Teddy Daniels, the mental breakdown of his daily existence. And it's a combination of depicting both his delusions and also the withdrawals he's experiencing because while he's on this role play journey, he's not taking his medications and so he's going through withdrawals from not having the medications he's been taking for two years. So combine that with the delusional aspect of his mental illness and you have intense, crazy schizophrenic episodes, uh, intense nightmares, walking nightmares, dreams. And Scorsese illustrates that in such an amazing way in this film, which is why it's one of his most visually dynamic film from the the flashbacks to that are mixed together. He, he kind of mixes combinations of what happened in, in the real past mixed with the delusions of Teddy, whether it be his wife and the daughter. And that that girl, is, he, he imagines that girl as being a, a, one of the girls from his not, the Nazi prison camp he saw during the war, but technically it was really his, his daughter. So he's, he blends fact and fiction together in his mind, and Scorsese does that with the filmmaking as well. And the cinematography, production design, coloring is all attached to this it's all connected so robert richardson was a cinematographer on this film that's scorsese's uh, cinematographer yeah so scorsese's goal again was to adv- to place- i mean sorry Tar- tarantino's cinematographer <laughs> yeah tarantino's right. cinematographer. his goal is to place everyone in teddy's shoes and he wanted to convey the mental state of teddy during this entire film with visual cues especially with color and lighting so according to richardson the lighting and color and texture all contribute to the blurring of reality and hallucination raising the question of what is subjective versus what is objective marty plays with this blurring of lines throughout the film i think with great prowess the film is a journey within one's mind and what you see could be real or imagined and so the filmmakers decided to shoot the rest of the 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 hallucinatory sequences on super 35 millimeter film and then relied on a digital grade and then, as you notice throughout the film, Teddy's reality, what's what's real to him, very desaturated, very hyper-real looking. And then his fantasies, those are the sequences that are very vibrant. They're very saturated. They're bright. They're always well-lit. The, the, the dreamlike sequences, like when he's with his wife in the apartments. Oh, it's so bright and yeah, colorful. Overexposed. And then these beautiful yeah. colors outside the windows of this of this. Uh, lake and everything and according to patricia thompson of the american society of cinematographers the film's color palette alternates between a slightly desaturated look used for the present day and saturated look of the 1950s era kodachrome used mainly for teddy's memories and hallucinations teddy's wartime experiences in the liberation camp influenced scorsese to do the the real-time sequences of what's happening in reality with the desaturated look after his his cinematographer and director of those sequences, George Stevens, used 16-millimeter Kodachrome footage for that liberation of the camp at Deco. And also one of my favorite moments of the lighting as well is, so all the present day, you were saying, the present day, desaturated, it's very dim lighting, especially when he's roaming through areas of of the hospital uh, in different blocks. But... During the famous twist scene when 
uh, the doctors are explaining everything to Teddy. What the what the cinematographer and Scorsese do there is, and it's really beautiful. The lighting in the top when they're inside the lighthouse, it's all well lit. Um, there's no shadows on them on their faces at all. It's just really soft, warm lighting, and that's a an illustration of you know clarity bring being brought to the moment, clarity bring being brought within Teddy's mind, um, and, and facing the truth and being uh, being told the truth. And so it's a, it's a great comparison to the the rest of the film of reality where it's super desaturated. And think about the lighthouse scene. It's pretty warm and it's very well lit because the truth is being revealed in its reality for in, in clarity. Compared to the rest of the film yeah. when him and Chuck are running around the island, it's very desaturated. Mm. And in terms of green screens and blue screens, you know, Scorsese, he's like Fincher. He's very skilled at hiding CGI and special effects in shots, in which he does a lot in this movie. You know, Wolf of Wall Street, if you look at set photos, like a lot of it is green screen. <laughs> like he, he, create, he created entire environments. Same thing with Shutter Island, besides the special effects shots of inside Teddy's mind going insane, we see a lot, there's a lot of shots of like exteriors where Leo is like climbing a cliff, but it's really just this little rock wall next to a giant blue screen, or he's just looking out over a hill and it's just a giant blue screen. So he used a lot of blue screen and green screen to create these intense environments, which you can't do practically because yeah. they didn't really have like an island like this. All the shots of the the, the fort, uh, it's just a really great way of blending together um, the practicality of the filmmaking with the CGI because what makes it work is when you shoot it on a location and then you're just painting in the CGI around it or on top of it. So it's it's really photographed. It's not just Leo in front of a green screen climbing up a, a, mount, a ledge. He's climbing the ledge and then they green screen behind him. So there is a lot of practicality and real physicality within the cinematography, even when it's heavy CGI. And a lot of heavily detailed matte paintings to make it seem very real, as well as a lot of miniatures, like the lighthouse, that's a miniature. Mm -hmm. You know, they built, I think, one half scale uh, miniatures and placed this this lighthouse miniature on like Malibu Beach and shot it 100% in camera, but it looks like it's just on this random island off the coast of Massachusetts. And Scorsese really captured a really terrific tone. He's And the music in this film is exceptional. Uh, it's not, not there was no composer who made music for this. He usually works with Howard Shore for his films if he has a composer work on his films. But with this, he just took uh, music that was already made, and he understands music uh, and how important it is to movies that more than any other filmmaker. You know, I mean, Goodfellas I think is the greatest soundtrack ever put to a movie. It tops anything even Edgar Wright or Tarantino have done. And he's also one of the earliest American filmmakers of using popular music in films, not just mu music composed for a film. And Cassavetes pioneered that as well as Scorsese. But this film, the music he chose for it really set up the tone and the, the thriller aspect, the horror of it. You know, uh, the most famous song he uses that Penderecki, Penderecki track of the deep brass. Yeah. Very imposing. He uses that three three times in the film, and most notably when they're make he and Chuck are making their journey from the boat on through the island and entering the property of the of the asylum. That music is what really establishes the tone of the film. And he between Penderecki, I can't remember all the other composers. He does a lot. He uses Mahler for the Ger the German composer for um, the Nazi scene, and and he understood that no, it's Mahler. <laughs> it's Mahler. I thought you were going to say I was wrong. <laughs> uh, but the music he chose is very non-traditional, very disturbing. Like experimental composers throughout the century, 
who were trying new things, new kinds of music, very tr trying to create eerie um, sounds and just experimenting with the instruments. Penderecki, obviously most famous for that. And that really sets the tone for the film. And we recently talked about a really great famous horror movie that featured Penderecki music throughout the entire film. Do you remember what it was? Oh, The Shining. The Shining. Yes, Stanley Shining. Kubrick. Yeah. So he used a ton of Penderecki in that film. And that's why I get a lot of Shining similarities between the Shining and the Shutter Island, specifically with the music. You know, it opens up with that dark fog, and then the Penderecki, yeah. the, the strength, boom, boom, yeah. boom, sets the tone. It's kind of like Cape Fear 2, just like this loud orchestra that set the mood of the film. But the entire film has that the same tone for me, similar to The Shining. And, you know, it's about, psych I think The Shining a lot, most of it is about a psychological breakdown between the entire family, like let alone whether the ghosts are real or not, whether you believe that or not. But I think that Kubrick's version is a psychological breakdown, just like Shutter Island is a psychological breakdown. I think that Scorsese was kind of like homaging The Shining with Shutter Island a lot all over the place. That was a good episode. And it makes sense because Scorsese was a gigantic fan of Stanley Kubrick. I think he might have been his probably his favorite filmmaker, one of, mm -hmm. um, really influential for him as a filmmaker himself. Now, the music also ties into uh, m some of the many clues that the filmmakers laced throughout this film, um, tying to the truth about Teddy Daniels. And I actually made this gigantic list of clues, 25 major clues that are subtle and not so subtle. Some are pretty easily identifiable and some are hard, harder to see and you need to see it on repeat viewings. And the music is tied into it. So I want to get into these clues that they put into the film. Let's get back into Shutter Island. You were talking about this gigantic, <laughs> huge list of 25 things from the movie that are clues that Teddy is... Th things aren't real around him. Yeah. Let's get into your gigantic list. <laughs> <laughs> so Teddy is Andrew Latis. And like we said earlier, uh, he killed his wife because she drowned their children and as a way of not facing the truth and reality of his actions. He's created this new persona, Teddy Daniels, as well as a new plot for him to investigate at Shutter Island. So he was a U.S. Marshal yeah. as Andrew Latest, but now Teddy is his new identity. Yeah, and now and on top of that, uh, he's got this new case that he's trying to uncover a giant mystery about. And the filmmakers um, tied so many clues into this film uh, and hints. Some of them are, are pretty like on the nose, pretty... You can obvious, notice, obvious, and but some I found a bunch that when we watched this again, I, there are still a few that I had not seen that slipped past me, and I was like, "This is crazy." And before we get into the clues, we do have to mention um, the symbolism of water and fire in this film because it ties into some of the clues. Fire versus water, great thematic backdrop and motifs of this film. Fire are the lies that Teddy tells himself, whereas water represents reality and the truth. For example, for fire, when he's around fire, he sees what he wants to see, not what is actually there. Examples include watching his wife burnt alive in his fantasy dreams, seeing who he thinks is Andrew Latest in the lounge next to the fireplace who lights Teddy's cigarette, finding supposedly the real Rachel in the cave who built the fire to keep herself warm from the storm. At George Noyce's cell, after he lights matches in cell block C, his wife appears in the cell. He sees his wife and daughter after he blows up Dr. Crowley's car. So those are examples of, of Teddy seeing fiction around him with fire. And then water represents his reality. The backdrop of the island is a constant reminder of his reality that he is surrounded by truth. And constant raining shows the reality of Teddy being a mental patient. 
He can't stand being around water. The boat makes him seasick. He feels sick in the shower. So the backdrop of water is always surrounding Teddy, which is his truth. Okay, so thank you for clearing that up. So water and fire are important thematic elements to this story. And like James said, fire equals the truth. And no, I mean, sorry, fire equals the lie that he wants to believe. And then water equals the truth that he won't accept. And it is also seen in many of the clues that I've listed out. So here is the list of 25 clues for Shutter Island's twist. The first thing we see is that um, when Teddy is on the boat looking in the mirror, he has a Band-Aid on his forehead. Uh, it's not explained where he got this from. It doesn't really make sense to just have a Band-Aid on a character's head without showing why. And the reason why he's wearing a Band-Aid is because of the fight he got into with George Noyce, where he nearly killed George Noyce. We see him later in the film in, in, inside of his cell. And you can you can make the assumption that when Noyce was being beaten by Teddy, he might have gotten a shot off on Teddy and given him the cut on his forehead. The next thing that we see are handcuffs inside the boat. Now, this is supposed to be a boat transferring two U.S. Marshals to the island, so it doesn't make sense that there are handcuffs on the boat because that would be used to transport prisoners. And so this is a hint that Teddy is actually a prisoner within the confines of the hospital already. Next up, when Teddy and Chuck arrive at the island, all of the guards and officers, they seem to be on very high alert. They seem to be very nervous, and many of them are giving Teddy these looks of great concern. And the the leader of the officers says that everyone's on high alert because of the, the escaped prisoner, but you can clearly tell that the, the cops are nervous around Teddy personally. Yeah, I love how Teddy's like, your boys seem on edge. And he's like, right now, we all are. He's yeah. like looking right, it's like, because of you, bro. Yeah, because they know that this man in front of them is the most dangerous prisoner on the island, so they're just being prepared for anything to happen that that and he can easily lose control. So they're actually concerned about their own safety when they're around Teddy. Next up, this is probably the most obvious clue. Uh, Chuck has trouble removing the holster for his gun. So when the 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 head officer asks them to remove their weapons, uh, Teddy takes his gun off his holster, no problem. But Chuck, it takes him several moments to figure even figure out how to get the holster off his hip. Looks like it's he's never done it before. This is an obvious clue that Chuck is not actually a U.S. Marshal, but is actually a psychologist and and also one of Teddy's therapists. Next up, when Chuck and Teddy are walking through the grounds of the of Shutter Island initially, uh, we notice one inmate smiles and waves at Teddy as if to recognize him, and then another inmate she does the shh. Um, gesture to him. So both these inmates seem to recognize Teddy. They don't gesture at anyone else. It's Teddy. So clearly these inmates have seen Teddy before and they're gesturing to him because they know that he is also a patient there, which is why they wouldn't gesture at like an orderly or an officer. Uh, Next up, um, well, now it's a little out of order, but Teddy is constantly experiencing serious migraines and headaches uh, this is a sign of his withdrawal from his medication. So one of the many symptoms of withdrawals are intense headaches and migraines, which is why he's suffering so badly compared to the other um, people in the areas. Uh, this is also tried to he tries to explain this away by saying that these symptoms are caused by the supposed drugs that he's being given, whether it be the pills, uh, food, coffee, water, or even the cigarettes that could be laced with drugs so he's trying to explain his own withdrawal symptoms away at least tell me you've been smoking your damn your own cigarettes, cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, next up, we have the memory of Dolores. Uh, well, not memory, but the delusional nightmare that he has of Dolores where um, her body is on fire also. Uh, it, so it, that's not the hint, but the hint is that when Dolores uh, turns to ash and dissolves, what's happening is Teddy standing alone inside that burning room. So the burning room is his, the lie he's created to explain um, the, his, his wife's death, that she was burnt alive. From uh, Andrew Latis. In her burning back. Yeah, in her burning back. And then she dissolves to ash. But what happens is Teddy is standing alone in that burning room, and he's, his hands are cupped open, and there's water dripping from his hands. So now there's water dripping because the truth is that his wife drowned their children, and that's why his hands are dripping with water inside this burning room. Can I expand on that? Absolutely. So even before that happens, before Dolores dissolves away to ash, and he's got the water in his hands— you know, it's the shot where before he goes behind her to, to cuddle her, he's looking at her, facing her, and Dolores, the back of her, you know, it's burning and it looks like charred wood. Yeah. The front of her, she's got water pouring down her face, and she's got blood pouring out of her stomach because, like you said, the truth is that she drowned their children, and then Teddy shot her in the stomach. So it's a really incredible surrealist shot, very metaphorical, where the the rear of Dolores is the lie that she burned alive because of Andrew Latest supposedly burned the apartment down and killed his wife. But the truth is right in front of Teddy— or Andrew, where she drowned their children and he killed her. So the water and the blood coming out of her stomach represents him killing her. And also, it's also a combination of the com the combination of the reality with the delusion that I mentioned earlier, where Teddy is trying to blend uh, what really happened in, and he's trying to cover it up with the uh, delusion that he's invented. Absolutely genius filmmaking. It's really terrific. And then uh, next up, we have uh, during the interrogation scene. Uh, the female inmate, the woman, is very nervous in front of Teddy. And this also happens uh, later on in the film when he returns from his absence um, where they keep like, looking at him and you can hear them offhand just like saying, he's there, he's there. And she's very nervous in, nervous in front of Teddy because – and while she speaks because she's been coached. She's been told – she's one of the – probably the only inmate in the entire facility who could uh, pretend um, and play this role-play game uh, with Teddy which is why she was chosen. She was clearly given a script to say, and you can tell that she it, she's very nervous saying every line. And she's very she gets very nervous when Teddy asks her, uh, "Have you ever heard of a patient named Andrew Latus?" And she because she knows he's Andrew Latus, and she's doing everything she can to not say that you're Andrew Latus. And also, she's very nervous because she knows that she's being watched by the guards, and she needs to get this right. And I'm sure that maybe they even made a deal with her. To, if you get this right, we'll give you some reward or, or something. And then also, when she asks for a glass of water, um, Chuck gets a glass of water and they give it to her. And then she grabs the glass of water from the table. And then when she lifts it up to her mouth, it's disappeared. And she's just holding her empty hand up. And it looks like she's miming the act of drinking. And this is when Teddy is watching her. And then when she sets the glass down, it's an empty glass on the table. So the glass reappears after it disappeared and the water's gone. So... What happens is Teddy mentally blocks out water whenever it's whenever he can. And so when she picked up the glass of water, he blocked it out of his mind because he can't deal with the truth. So he can't deal with the water. So he erases it from his sight, which is why it disappears in her hand. Also, when uh, he asks about uh, Dr. Sheehan, she says right when he asks her about Dr. Sheehan, the patient, she glances at Chuck because she knows that he's Dr. Sheehan. So she gives like this momentary like glance at him when she's when she mentions his name. And also 
when she mentions that Dr. Sheehan is handsome, it cuts to Chuck and he gives like this slight smirk. Like uh, he's he's he kind of like feels good that she said he's handsome. It's easy I mean? on the eyes. Yeah, he's easy on the eyes. And he gives like this little smirk that he tries to hide, but it's definitely there. It's very subtle because she's saying that Chuck is very handsome. And then also with the other prisoner, the the man, um, when he's not getting the information he wants from him, Teddy start Teddy takes his pencil and he starts scratching the notebook with the pencil, scratching it over and over and over again, and it's getting louder and faster. And then for some reason, this is driving the inmate crazy. It's, it's making him very upset, and like he seems to be experiencing pain from listening to this pencil being scratched on the paper. The only reason why Teddy did that because he subconsciously knows that for some reason this inmate can't handle that, and he uses it as a tortured interrogation technique on him. There's no way that uh, a U.S. marshal who's never been there before would know that this scratching pencil would work on that inmate. Next up, during that um, that in- same interrogation, uh, if you look in the background of every shot, um, when there's an inmate in the in the shot, there's a guard standing behind them. Uh, and then when Chuck's in the shot, there's no one behind him. But when Teddy's in the shot, there's an, a guard behind him. So this is illustrating that uh, the guards are watching Teddy because Teddy is actually an uh, inmate in this mental institution and Chuck is not. And also another great subtle clue is when the doctors and the staff are having that meeting about the storm and whether we should like close down or what, what should we do. It's a very important meeting because of the hurricane that's approaching. Uh, Teddy and Chuck enter and they kind of interrupt the meeting. And um, one of them, uh, he asks he asks the Dr. Colley about the, the law of four. The rule of four. And then one of the doctors offhand goes, oh, the rule of four, I love that. What in That might go over our heads at first because we think it's still referring to an important clue about Rachel Solando's uh, miss, missing. But what happens is, what really happened is the, all the doctors and staff know about this role play. And so you could imagine Dr. Colley maybe wrote most of what's going on. He wrote, he came up with the clues. And so that doctor is recognizing, oh, man, that was a great touch throwing in the rule of four there. I no, love that. Teddy created the rule of four. He did the, the okay, yeah, yeah, of the yeah. names. But, but putting it into the role yeah, play yeah. on the note yeah. was Cauley's idea. So the role play entirely is Dr. Dr. Cowley letting Teddy play out his entire fantasy. Yeah. So this is all in Teddy's fantasy that he created, and the doctors are letting him play it out. Yeah, exactly. So they But they made that clue. And so the doctor is saying, oh, I love that. You know what I mean? And then also the search party looking for Rachel Solando. They're very apathetic, not interested. Most of the guards are just the officers are just like sitting around on the rocks, like doing nothing because there's no one to search for because they know there is no missing missing patient. Also, uh, later in the film, when Chuck and Teddy reunite on the cliffside, Chuck has Andrew Latus's file, which uh, has evidence on it that you know we can blow the lid over the place. But Teddy won't look at Andrew Latus's file. The reason why he won't look at it is because subconsciously he knows that it's his own personal file and it would reveal the truth about himself, which is why he tells Chuck, Chuck, I'll look at it later. So he's avoiding the truth once again. I think that might have been a moment for Chuck because Teddy was acting very dangerously and, you know, he's like could have killed himself by continuing his journey during the lighthouse. I think that that Chuck was trying to break through with him right there in that moment with the document. So it was like. A, a ditch, a last ditch effort to try and save Teddy and make him come to again. Uh, ultimately, that failed because he wouldn't even look at the file. Um, next up, we have uh, the warden when he picks up Teddy, uh, and he has that really great conversation about violence and how he and Teddy are both extremely violent men. Oh, he only knows how violent Teddy is because he he's 
been guarding him for two years. Otherwise, Teddy just got here yesterday. So how could he know um, such an intense detail about Teddy being an extremely violent person? Also, so going back to the music, uh, there's there are songs playing in Teddy's flashbacks and memories. So there's the the Mahler song during the Nazi scene, and then a, a couple other songs during um, his flashbacks with uh, his wife, Dolores. And you hear those same songs played um, in different moments on Shutter Island. So when Chuck and Teddy are getting new clothes after their clothes are soaking wet from the storm, what's playing in the background? It's the it's the um, the song that he that played during his delusion in his flashback with Dolores, and that's playing on the speakers. And also, you hear the Mahler music is played in Doctor Colley's office a couple of times. So the doctors are trying to elicit the the reality from Teddy just with the music playing in the different facilities. Also, so the water dripping from Teddy's hands in his dream delusion when um, Dolores is burnt up. Which, which we mentioned earlier. Um, also, dirt when Teddy and Chuck interrupt that meeting, uh, Max von Sydow's doctor, um, he's he's seems to be very annoyed that they're interrupting this meeting. This is because he knows that this is just a game and they have serious matters to attend to. He, he's like, why are they interrupting us, is what he says. He's like, why are they even here? So he's just he's upset that this stupid role-play game is affecting them trying to keep the, the island safe during this terrible storm. And also, another major scene is the scene with George Noyce, where George Noyce, his face is battered, he's locked up, he's never going to get out of here because of what happened with him in the past. And, and Teddy, he call, he says Teddy is a rat in a maze, and that this is all for him. He also says that Teddy always lies to him. It's say, and what he's saying is that for two years, Teddy has been lying to him. And it's not just this moment. Teddy can't really isn't really understanding what he's saying, but he's seem, there seem to have a long-standing relationship, these two, and Teddy has just always been feeding him delusional lies. And George Noyce is real. He's yeah, really yeah, a he's prisoner real. there. But, yeah. but Teddy's backstory on him isn't accurate. Exactly. And also, George says that considering, uh, in regards to his beaten to a pulp face, he said that Teddy did this to him. It was He's the one who did it to him. And then also, the final clue that I could see is that Max von Sydow's character, Dr. Nehring, um, when he has that uh, great chat with Teddy... Uh, and he says he keeps complimenting him on his defense mechanisms. The way that the doctor is speaking to Teddy, you can clearly tell that he has been in many therapy sessions with Max Fuentes' character in the past, and that and that doctor has tried his own therapy on Teddy, which failed. So those are my twenty-five hints and clues to Teddy's true truth. That truly was a gigantic list. That was a, that was a big list. Now let's take a break from Shutter Island, head into our intermission. How's that sound to you? Sounds great. Let's begin with our movie quote competition. This one's for me. You went halfway around the world. <laughs> you spent a fortune. You did terrible things. Really terrible things, Robert. And all for nothing. You never understood, did you? <laughs> What's the look on their faces? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the prestige. It's pretty good. Christian Bale impression, not going to lie. Not bad, man. You not spent bad. a fortune. A fortune. Fortune. No, Alfred has like a city London accent. Yeah. Terrible things, Robert. Really terrible things. Really terrible things. Okay. Here's my quote from a fan. We all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> um, psycho. Correct. Correct, correct. She may have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother. <laughs> Psycho. <laughs> no, no, I'll just continue. Oh, Do okay. another one. All right. 
What's your uh, movie release year? Uh, the Brothers Bloom. 2007? 2008. Damn it! <laughs> Pretty good movie. It's a good movie. Um, Ryan Johnson's movie. Great cast. Adrian Brody, Mark Ruffalo, and Rachel Weiss. Yes, sir. All right. Guess this movie release year. Psycho. Um, 1960. Was it 68? Yeah. Yeah. 62. 60... Oh, crap. God damn it. What's 19... the final answer? 62. 60. 60. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> Just fucking did it, too. <laughs> All right, movie pop quiz time. Who has Martin Scorsese directed movies with more? Robert De Niro or Leonardo DiCaprio? And can you name how many with each? Ten with De Niro, five with DiCaprio, but also he made a short film with De Niro, so like it's technically 11 films. Nine with De Niro. Nine? Yeah, not counting that short film. Oh, so ten in total? Yeah, and then Leo is five. You're right, it's Leo. Okay, here's my quiz. How many Oscar nominations... Does Gary Oldman have? And can you name them? Can I name them? Yeah. Well, let's see. He won for Darkest Hour. Correct. He got nominated four other times. Incorrect. Five other times. No. <laughs> three other times. Just three in total. Three, two, so two other times. It's <laughs> getting there eventually. <laughs> Six, five, four, three, two. I, I got it right, right? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. So what are the nominations for? Let's, so let's Darkest think. Hour. Yeah, so that's what, what he won, got nominated for. Nominated in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Correct. And then, oh, what's the other one? Oh, this is tough. What's a great performance by Gary besides all of them? Um, <laughs> Leon? No. no. Um, I don't know. Mank. Mank. Oh, dude, you're right. Crap. Totally forgot. He did, his first nomination was Tinker. Yeah. He, he had 20 years, no nominations. Crazy. All right. We got any haters of the week? Yes. Anything like that? What we, we, we have, got going on? We have multiple. All right. We have some unsubscribers. Oh. I didn't. I couldn't find any real haters. Oh, we have a real hater. Oh, yeah. This, hold on. You got a real hater from Reservoir Dogs video. From uh, which one? The guy who said something about the Reservoir Dogs video you made about you walking around in, this, in the town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, if you went on, like when you listen to the Reservoir Dogs episode, if you watched, I, saw, I went to a lot of the filming locations of like the shootout with Mr. Pink and the police when he steals the car and then where Mr. Orange gets shot in the belly. I went to those locations because they're in Highland Park where we live and I posted the selfie videos like this is where this happened. This is really cool. It looks exactly the same except, you know, it's a cafe now instead yeah. of insurance and um, not a video store or whatever. And someone wrote, you're just like standing in the middle of the street. You're not even like even on a movie set. It's like, bro, this movie was made in 1992. <laughs> what do you want to get on a time machine and say, hey, hey, what's up, Quentin Tarantino? Could I hang out on your movie set? This is a smartphone, by the way. <laughs> Some people just wake up and just hate themselves so much. They got to like, why are you going to leave that kind of It's comment? such a cool thing you did. It's so fun. Yeah. I went to the movie locations. It got filmed in 1992. Not impressed. <laughs> Not impressed. It's not like you're really on a Tarantino set for real. Two years old. Jesus, Unbelievable. Man. Crazy. I couldn't believe it. I thought that was a cool <laughs> thing you did. I thought a lot of people enjoyed it. If you if you didn't see it, I posted a, a, a post on Instagram, so just mm -hmm. go check it out. It's I, great. Yeah, I went to like four of the locations. We got a ton of unsubscribers, so... Exploring Cinema Contest, uh, Exploring Cinema Podcast for our Tarantino episode. Uh, nine minutes late, unsubscribed <laughs> for the poster giveaway. 
Uh, Christian Heflin Films wrote, if it's not a poster of feet, then I unsubscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I forgot. We actually had like a legit hater on Instagram where someone said, this is a fun little page, but you you might as well. like." We talked about it in Reservoir, didn't we? I don't think so. Oh, no, did we? But yes, someone wrote like, this is a fun little page, but you shouldn't take their opinion seriously. They're not like real movie critics or anything. So, but it's a fun little page. And it's like, bro, we're, we're a film podcast. We have. Uh, half a million followers. We had, yeah, we had a fan make a bunch of. Mike made a bunch of memes about so it. I think a fun little page is like yeah. a new thing. It's like it's an Instagram account yeah. marketing the show. It's not a. It's a the Instagram account's maybe a fun little page, but yeah. it's pretty silly. But um, so Mike he he made these memes and you posted all the memes and then the guy he actually responded. He made a gigantic reply. Did he really on I the on the look. memes? Let me find it. It was it's really I didn't even reply. I was like, bro, you, how how, how long did you spend on this comment? <laughs> Unless he oh he deleted it. Oh, he deleted it. No worries. Probably because it's it was pretty silly. Probably because it was twenty pages long. People just can't appreciate, you know, others who are working hard and trying to find success. You know, is what it is. Anyways, um, I got one more unsubscribe. Let's go. Oisin McKeown wrote: "There is no reservoirs or dogs in this movie. <laughs> Zero out of ten. Unsubscribed." <laughs> He's right. It's accurate. They're, yeah. not, they're not wrong. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, so. Supporters of the week, we have a couple of great five-star reviews. This one's from Jeremy Irizarry. Amazing podcast. I stumbled upon Raiders of the Lost podcast and have been hooked since then. I love film, and they are extremely knowledgeable and entertaining. They've even inspired me to get away from my anxiety and finally start doing my own podcast. That's amazing That's awesome. news, Jeremy. Amazing. Make sure if you, let us know if you want to sign up for our masterclass. It'd, I'm sure it would really help you out a lot. Really appreciate the support. And then this is from E-Man17. Fun time at the films. <laughs> Another great Anthony one-liner. <laughs> this is an amazing podcast that I could listen to and quote for ages. These guys have really entertained me, whether I'm at school or at home. They help me get through the time, through tough times, and I'm grateful for this podcast. I will never unsubscribe unless they don't do Steven Spielberg's The Adventures of Tintin or Martin Campbell's The Mask of Zorro. We'll get on those, I'm, I promise, E-Man. Thanks so much for the review. That's really sweet of you. On this day in film history, today is February 3rd. In 1932, Shanghai Express premiered. In 1960, La Dolce Vita, directed by Federico Fellini, premiered in Italy. In 1986, Pixar Animation Studios is founded as an independent film production company with the backing of Steve Steve Jobs. Jobs. And happy birthday to Warwick Davis and Isla Fisher. Fisher. My stream recommendation is Dark... Uh, the German horror TV series on Netflix, which is exceptional. I started – this is the next show I've been watching since I left my job, and I am uh, hooked on it. It's incredible. Uh, Jamie, I haven't started it yet. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, bud. Jamie Devonuts? Yeah, our, our bro- oh, Jamie, I'm watching, I'm watching Dark. It's sick. <laughs> Hit me up, bro. We'll talk about it. It's really cool. It's like Stranger Things but more mature. Nice. But more time-related stuff. It's like cooler. It's it's it's, it's pretty lit. <laughs> yeah, you've been, you've been going crazy with it. All right, my streaming recommendation is RoboCop, the, the original. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime. It's a really great movie. It's super gory, graphic, awesome, ultra-violence. Just a fun time. Fun time at the movies. Yeah, fun at the time films. at the films. <laughs> uh, Paul, Ver- Paul Verhoeven just knocked it out of the park with this amazing, amazing movie. It's 2022, and it's 
almost Valentine's Day, so now's the time to get some goodies for the significant other in your life from Manscaped.com. I recommend the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer from Manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping your entire order today. The Ultra Premium Collection also just launched. It's the Ultimate Wet Goods Bundle, which the man in your life would love. So it has deodorant, yes, actual deodorant from Manscaped, body wash, two-in-one shampoo, conditioner, hydrating body spray, and the package also comes with a free set of Manscaped lip balms. So Valentine's Day, again, this is the perfect place to get a gift for the man in your life. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping on your entire order today. In the meantime, don't forget to head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Now let's get back into... Shutter Island. Island. And I want to talk about some of the other characters. Hey, I've been talking for it's like... your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I just went 15 minutes straight. You yeah. deserve it. I let you go off, man. I was like, he's got a gigantic list. You, I can't wait to hear this gigantic list. You let me fly, list. man. You let me fly. <laughs> Icarus flying too close to the sun over there. Anyways, I want to talk about the other characters, specifically starting with Rachel Solando. So Rachel Solando is the missing person, the missing patient, or as Teddy calls, the patient's prisoners, ironically. And the film, the first time you watch this movie, Scorsese and Dennis Lehane, the filmmakers, they do such a terrific job making you feel like you're on Teddy's side. You think there's a conspiracy going on. You know, Dr. Colley seems really suspect, you know. Is he hiding things? Is he hiding information? Why is this septic sewage facility, this lighthouse, guarded by prisoners? The things that Colley says seems, you know, a little off. It's like everyone's hiding something, especially Dr. Um, Nahing, 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 Nahing. Yeah. Yeah. He seems off too. And the guards just seem like they're they're like watching Teddy. Teddy thinks everyone's watching. Also, him. we learned that Nahing is a German. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so Rachel Solando is this missing patient. And I love this whole film when you watch it because whenever whenever Teddy and Chuck are interviewing anybody, talking about Rachel Solando, asking them questions. Their responses are genuine, but the responses are all referring to Teddy. They're all talking about Teddy. They're all talking about Andrew Latest. Whenever they're answering questions about 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 Rachel Solando, we can assume that maybe that room that they show them might be Andrew Latest's room, but probably not. He's probably either in cell block C or he has his own private room in the lighthouse, we can assume. I'd say he's he's in cell block C because he's the most violent patient. Right, probably they have. so. Yeah. So then the the Rachel Solando room is fake. They set that up for him, and obviously the the first Rachel Solando we meet is a nurse actually, yeah. and she's playing the role of Rachel Solando. And you can say, I mean, yeah, she gives a terrific performance, and you might be like, oh, how is she such a good actor? It's like, I mean, you could say that, but also she spent she spent so much time with mentally ill people, she could probably pull it off. And another clue that I think you missed in your list that I just thought Uh-oh. of is when they're in Rachel Solando's supposed room, and they're like, oh, she left with in by herself. She escaped through this room with the door locked in the outside and bars in her window. I'll put bars on your windows, Ronald Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> there were bars on his windows. <laughs> Chuck Tech, Chuck checks the closet and there's two pairs of shoes and she's and he's like she left without her shoes they're men's shoes you would expect the female oh, patient they? yeah they're they're like normal like large like maybe size 10 men's i guess i didn't shoes. measure them so i didn't <laughs> i didn't put it in my but list they're clearly men's shoes as opposed to women's shoes uh uh-huh. in the film and then rachel solando we discover later on 
Teddy finds her in this cave, and Rachel Solano is this woman who was a psychotherapist at the at the island. And, and so the first Rachel was played by Emily Mortimer, and then the second one is Patricia Clarkson. Yeah, and then Teddy even sees Rachel in some of his dream sequences yeah. about his reality. Uh, like when he's thinking of when he's dreaming of of the camp that he went to the concentration camp She's there with the daughter when he, that's yeah. who he thinks Rachel is and then he finds Rachel number two Who he thinks is the real real Rachel Solando the real deal Rachel and Rachel was a doctor a therapist there and according to Teddy as he's talking with her Rachel the real Rachel was a therapist at Shutter Island at Ashcliff and she discovered the the experimentation going on there on the island. She wanted to expose the truth to the world because, you know, they can't let this happen on American soil like it happened in Nazi Germany. And, and Teddy, she got locked up just for asking questions. Yeah, and yeah. so she became, like, she was going to be framed as a crazy person and insane. And I, I love that line where she says, once you're labeled insane or insanity labeled to you, everything that you do falls under the umbrella of your insanity. So no matter what, they're going to frame you. And she's like telling Teddy, like, they're going to frame you for being insane. They're going to trap you here because you're asking too many questions. This whole thing's set up to get you because you've been asking too many questions, Teddy Daniels, U.S. Marshal. They're coming for you, man. (laughs) Were you a nurse here? I was a doctor. (laughs) And I love the concept of psychosurgery and psychomedication and lobotomization because we eventually learn the truth and we learn that Dr. Cowley is a very good doctor. He's a very genuine person. He really actually is the only person trying to help Teddy, trying to help Teddy, trying to help Andrew Latest. All these other doctors, they're trying to do more lobotomization methods of the past or medical lobotomation, lobotomization basically with the new medication that people take. And, you know, the first, the first thing doctors do now with their patients is just give them a pill and make them zombies which is not much has changed versus lobotomization where it made zombies out of you physically and this is a last ditch effort to pull Andrew to reality because as the doctor tells him in the lighthouse once he makes it there that this moment right here if we can't bring you to reality we will lose this battle we're on a war you're the front lines and if we lose this war they will lobotomize you forever I also think that Rachel Solando's return is actually a clue that I missed. I think that her returning unexplicably is a clue. You know, they just found her skipping stones. I think the reason why – I don't think the doctors intended to do that, but they did it because of the hurricane. I think it, the hurricane made it too dangerous for the role play to continue uh, outside, and so they couldn't let Teddy continue, like, roaming the grounds during the, this terrible weather. And so I think that's why they brought Rachel Solando back. It might have been like a, a damper in their initial plan of the role play. Yeah, and so let's go more into this fantasy that Teddy's living on Shutter Island. You know, he's he's a locked-up prisoner in cell block C. He's in this fortress, and, you know, he's surrounded by guards and prisoners and doctors and nurses. And it's he's in lockdown. He's in cells. How does he not realize what he is? And he even says that to people. He's like, how does this patient, how these, how does Rachel Solano not know that she's a mental patient? There are guards everywhere because that's Teddy. And so what Teddy does is he's tricking himself into thinking that he still lives in the Berkshires. And all these people around him, they're like the milkman or they're people around the town. They're, they're just part of this environment, but they're not real. Like he gives them fake roles in his mind to what they truly are to hide the fact that he is institutionalized. Well, it's Ra- he, they say that Rachel says that. Yeah, no. Men and yeah, men. yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's Teddy. Yeah. Again, every time we're talking about Rachel, we're talking about Teddy. We're talking about Andrew. Yeah. 
So every whenever someone's talking about Rachel, assume that that's Andrew's. They're talking about Andrew. Well, I also think that they they've all been given a script to follow for when the questions are asked. True, but how would because t- they yeah. give the script about how Rachel escaped? That's all like they all. Dr. Colley ran through it all with the orderlies and staff. Like when they ask you, when he asks you this, this is the the story of how Rachel escaped. Yeah, but you can't really depend on mental patients to fully follow a script. That's why they're giving. No, I'm talking about the staff. Okay, yeah, but yeah. and the mental patients. But I think they're all they're doing is switching Andrew's name with Rachel for a lot of the answers. I don't think that I I disagree. I don't think that Teddy ever looked at people there as milkman and stuff. I well, think, how could he do it every day of his life then? I think that. It's hard to it's hard to because he's talking. Teddy is ironically talking about himself in that situation. You could, you could be right. And so so isn't Doctor Cowley. He's like you've set up this thing. You think that you're 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 like they when when they say Rachel thought she lived in the Berkshires. Andrew still thinks he lives in the Berkshires. Andrew thinks that he's not in an institution. So every day is that's the lie he's telling himself that everyone around him is not in an institution like him. I would say that I think every day. I would uh, the way I would look at it is that I think that every day he doesn't think that that, but he thinks that he is always a U.S. marshal uh, investigating a conspiracy every day. That's what I think. Yeah, but two, for yeah, but, and also, but for two years straight, it could be it's, it's just a re- reset. No, reset. No, but you see, the difference is the medication is the key here. So when Teddy's on his medication, that's when he thinks he lives in the Berkshires. He thinks that he's surrounded by milkmen and normal people in a town. But when he's when he's being weaned off his medication, that's when he's losing that his his fake world of I'm in I'm Teddy Daniels I'm a U.S. Marshal that he created before his intense medication. That's when it starts to become more real. The hallucinations are more powerful, in my opinion. So when he's off his medication, that goes away, and then he believes he's Teddy Daniels investigating this situation. That's why they're letting him do it and play it out. So I so I disagree. I I would say that he his delusion is always that he's Teddy Daniels, a U.S. Marshal, uh, surrounded by conspiracy. And when he's off the medication, that's when the delusions in the schizophrenic dreams begin. So he's, I don't think he's always, del- I don't think he's delusional when he's on his medication. Exactly. In terms of like seeing the walking nightmares uh, and just seeing things. But I think that his delusion when he's on the medication has always been he's a U.S. Marshal uh, surrounded by a conspiracy. But the Teddy Mar- Teddy Daniels as a U.S. Marshal is a delusion. Yeah, I know. I'm, but I'm saying I'm t- I'm saying like the schizophrenic, nightmarish, walking dreams. That's what ha- begin occurring after he's off his medication. Well, I would I would say it's the same thing as the hallucination, believing that your Teddy Daniels is technically an hallucination, and all the stuff that you've created is a hallucination. Yeah. So that's why I think that. Well, let's we can agree to disagree then. Yeah, we disagree. I think that you know when he's off his medication, that's when the fiction of him being Teddy Daniels is most powerful. Full and the hallucinations are most powerful versus before the role play was being played out in order to contain him he was probably on his most medica- most medicated which is where he thinks that like I'm still living in the Berkshires and stuff like that I think that like so the end of the movie when he um, when Chuck goes to test him and asks after him, he learns the truth and yeah, accepts that he's Andrew Latest yeah and he, and he and Chuck goes to him and, he, and he's like so what's the, what's the plan from here boss and Chuck is in Dr. Sheehan is asking him subtly like are you still are you Andrew are you, or Teddy? Are you Andrew or Teddy? And then Andrew replies, "I think there's like something going on here. I think there's a. I think we gotta we gotta watch out or whatever." And I think that that is what Andrew was always like for the last two years on the island, just like that. Oh, really? That's what. That's how I look at it. He's never. 
So what I'm saying is he never thought that the people around him were milkmen and postmen and stuff and that he's living in the Berkshires. I always view it as he's been stuck here for two years surrounded by conspiracy and he doesn't really um, perceive time as being two years. It's like mm. every day could be like a, a reset. All right, that's what, what I'm saying. That's why the doctor says it's like you're a exactly. recorder. You just, you just reset everything. So the Teddy at the end of the film, even though we'll we'll get into the ending in a second, I think that he's actually lying to, Ch- to Dr. Sheehan right there. But the way he's pr- pretending to be Teddy... I think that's what Teddy is like for the last two years on his medication. He's a U.S. Marshal stuck on an island, surrounded by conspiracy, trying to investigate a missing person. And then they just made that a reality with the rest of the staff as a role play. So I, I, that's how I think his gotcha. delusion has been for two years on the island. Either way, the less medication he's on, the power, more powerful his hallucinations and his yeah. psychosis takes exactly. over. And it shows you how messed up he really is in his mind. Because as Dr. Kali points out to him in the lighthouse, like his hands are shaking and he's seeing things. And he's like, it's, it's, it's the medication. He's like, no, this is you without medication. This is what you're seeing. You're seeing the hallucinations. Your hand is shaking. Everything's shaking because this is what you are without medication. And one of my favorite aspects to the twist is that, you know, Dr. Colley has been um, led to be- – we're, we're led to believe that he's the ultimate villain and he's in charge of the conspiracy and uh, he's portrayed in like a great morally gray ambiguous area. And But we know like, oh man, he's the bad guy. Like the lines where he's like, I've built this thing. I, I'm yeah. not going to let anyone take away what I've, what I've done exactly. and built yeah. without a fight. Exactly. So we, it's leading up to this moment where we think he's going to be like the big bad. But ultimately, once the twist is revealed, we learned that Dr. Kali is a, as good and decent as a man can be. And he is go- throwing himself out on a limb trying to save Teddy's life. And he's been experimenting with this new role play therapy to try and get Teddy to break it back into reality. And he's probably the most uh, supportive person that Teddy has ever come across um, because Teddy, Teddy even mentions like uh, 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 he probably failed every other doctor, but Dr. Colley refused to ever give up on him. And so Dr. Colley is actually uh, the the best man, the most morally um, good man in the entire film. And Dr. Sheehan. Yeah. And I see Dr. Nering and Dr. Colley as polar opposites in the same profession where we can assume Nering is more – of the lobotomized kind of doctor and Medicaid doctor. You know, he says, men of violence are my specialty, impressive defense mechanisms. And he's despised by Teddy for being German again. And Chuck goes along with that as well. Whereas Dr. Cowley is clearly, and we, we learn he's a doctor who's more focused on a radical approach of treating a patient, showing them respect and trying to trying to tap into them without medication or if you have to like someone like Andrew you have to medicate a little bit because he's so violent and able to, just to, to be able to try to control him and talk to him but he's more focused on this radical notion where you just talk to your patients to try to solve their mental issues and to help them out and to help them live with it and make them less dangerous and make them you know be being able to live as a human being versus being a zombie whether you lobotomize them or medicate them yeah i think it's a great backdrop of the entire Entire story, the history of mental health and how patients were treated in the past. And so is in that painting that that Chuck and Andrew are looking at when they go into Dr. Colley's study for the first time. And I think Andrew's probably drawn to it because he knows that that's his fate at some point. He knows he's going to get lobotomized, whether Teddy knows it or not. Andrew, deep down subconsciously, knows it. And that's why I think Dr. Colley is so has those paintings he explains it's to show like a reminder of of how we used to torture mental patients how we'd stub them in in ice cold water and we'd 
beat them and abuse them to try to beat the mental illness out of them, which you can. And that's an exact, it, I think he uses those as reminders to himself of his mission of doing the exact opposite. He, and there's also that uh, we get a shot of uh, Teddy imagining what that was like for patients when he first gets into the cell block alone, right before he sees George Noyce and he sees that cell filled with, you know, naked and mentally disturbed men. And there's that guy drawing on the wall with his blood. That's not really there. That's just him imagining what it was like for mental patients back in the day. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah all the mental patients inside yeah. that in that one cell together. Exactly. Or maybe they were because it's a lot. Let's cell block C block or block C. No, I, I don't think that Doctor Colley would allow that to happen in his hospital. True, but remember, he doesn't have full power over the hospital. The warden probably has full power over what happens to patients, anyways. And him and Naring are going along with Colley temporarily with this role play to see what happens with Andrew. It's possible, but I mean, that's a gigantic building to have most of your patients in one room. But there's no fire. There's no fire. Yeah. So it could be real. Because remember, be. they're the most dangerous. They're all murderers. Well, well there he's lighting it up with his match. Only he's he's really only lighting. Uh, no, no, George there's Joyce's, fire. Yeah, but inside the cell. Yeah, it's, he's, it's he's hard using, to say. He's using fire to illuminate it, so it's, I think I, that counts as a lie. It's probably up for interpretation. Yeah, but then we when he makes it to the lighthouse, we really learn how delusional he really is, especially with the anagram, the power of the four, are the names where his name Andrew Latus. It also turns into Teddy Daniels, and then his wife, Dolores Chanel, turns into Rachel I am Solando. Lord Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> I am Teddy Daniels, past, <laughs> present, and <In> future. future. <laughs> <laughs> but what's so great about the twist is even as Dr. Colley is, is providing us this new information, the first time I watched the film, I was so behind Teddy, I didn't even want to believe it. I even I was being skeptical. I was like, "Oh, they're trying to trick him. Uh, this is still just part of the entire ploy." But then, like as that scene began playing out more, and you get moments like him trying to shoot Doctor Colley, and then the gun's just made of plastic, and he just breaks it apart, no problem. Then I was like, "Oh my god, this is actually reality. He really is delusional. There is no conspiracy. There is no big villain. It's all in Teddy's mind." I think I thought it was great because even when. Kali's giving us this new information and the truth. I didn't want to accept it as an audience member. And then we learn the truth. You know, earlier in the film when Teddy's talking to Andrew Latus in his in his dream sequence, we see Andrew Latus as this like scarred up guy who's a who's an arson and he burnt down the apartment building. And he's like, no hard feelings, right? <laughs> and and you seem like you could say that that's maybe Andrew's internal projection of himself. What he sees as himself is that. Is that person this little this monster? That's what he sees himself now. I would say he gave himself a monster to hunt, like yeah. a villain to hunt. But that's but it's yeah. a projection of himself either way. And then we learn the truth in the lighthouse, and we have the flashback of the reality of where Teddy comes back from his investigation to the house, and he finds out that Dolores drowned all three of their children in the water. And Rachel was actually his daughter. You know, you can tell he, he may have loved her the most of all the kids because when he sees her, he's devastated. He gives her the foot rub. And then we learn that he couldn't cope with what she did, so he killed Dolores right there in the spot, shot her in the stomach. And then that all, again, ties back to the dream sequence where Dolores is both has the rear of fire and ash and the front of her is water pouring down with blood coming out of her stomach because Teddy shot her in the stomach. And this is where they break through again for the second time. You know, doctor says, Dr. Cowley says, we did this nine months ago, but you regressed immediately. But they broke through again, but this is the most radical form of therapy that they've done for him. So maybe it will stick and that's what they're hoping. And the flashbacks work as a great way of leading us off the trail 
betrayal in the real sense of truth by showing that his daughter Rachel, he believes in his mind, was one of the girls that was killed at the Nazi concentration camp. And then when the, the girl says to him multiple times, why didn't you save me? The way he's interpreting it is, why didn't he save her at the concentration camp? So it's a great way of leading the audience on a false trail of believing that the little girl was actually, you know, maybe like a little Polish girl who was killed by the Nazis. And the concentration camp is really important to Teddy because it's a backdrop to show his original trauma in his past as to why he ignores the signs that his that his wife Dolores is mentally ill and needs help. You know, he's he's hiding from that fact because he became a murderer at that concentration camp. You know, he's telling Chuck about it inside that little chapel and when they're getting refuge from the hurricane and he says it was straight up murder you know they were going to take them as prisoners but then i mean can you blame them for what they did they ended up killing all the guards and officers at the nazi concentration camp and then he let the the leader of that concentration camp slowly died when he when he botched trying to kill himself although it's interesting because that could be um a lie as well and fabrication because dr Colley even says there's they know that he was at a he found a concentration camp while in war but they don't they aren't for sure certain if he killed anyone personally so he, teddy might have even made that up himself it's possible i i like to see that as reality because that's what, the reason why he's such an alcoholic and drinks so much and that ties into why he's always ignoring the signs that his wife has issues as well yeah i mean you could but you could look at it as he maybe the soldiers they just found the dead bodies and they didn't actually murder nazis it's possible so yeah. what they ended up maybe what they found was just the shot of the train with the frozen bodies yeah, pouring out of it exactly which i think was based off real footage right i believe probably yeah yeah, yeah probably because Collie even he even he isn't sure that teddy actually even killed anyone well for then how does the the Mahler music tie into the trigger then if that's what's playing at the concentration camp when he goes into the main office well he could have found the he could have still found the the the, the colonel dying so maybe but they that... just, well what i'm saying is Collie says they aren't sure if they teddy and the other soldiers actually executed anyone gotcha so yeah. maybe maybe they just watched the colonel kill him die yeah. yeah that's what i think yeah so that memory is real but actually maybe committing the murders maybe Okay, all right, all right, here we go. So him committing the murders in the Nazi camp is a way of him explaining him, his, him being a murderer rather than the rather than accepting that he murdered his wife. Okay, yeah, I can accept so that. So in place of murdering his wife, the way he remembers uh, himself com committing murder is murdering Nazis. And so I was at the at that concentration camp, yeah. and I helped free the—I I was part of the crew that saved those people— but I'm gonna I'm gonna mix in my trauma of killing my wife in with that memory of my past to say that's why I have PTSD. That's why and I that's have why this I know trauma. that's why I know about killing. And then that's that's because I'm a killer because I killed my wife, but I actually didn't kill my wife. It was Andrew Laters who burnt down my apartment. Yeah, exactly. All right, I could see that. Yeah. I like that interpretation. We're figuring it out. That's pretty good. I know I've seen it like five Piecing times. It all still, put, still getting new things out of it. Yeah, it's like a Nolan movie. It was just pretty uncommon for Scorsese. And of course, the ending is fantastic. You know, it's kind of ambiguous and open for interpretation. Interpretation, but you know when, when Chuck, when Doctor Sheehan or Chuck, his partner goes up to him and says, "What's our next play, boss?" And you know he's testing him. Are you Andrew? Or are you Teddy right now? And Andrew or Teddy reveals that he's Teddy, and you know he says to Chuck, "Like we got to get off this island." And then he also says, "What's what's worse, to live as a monster or die as a good man?" And I believe that he's Andrew, he's broken through. I think his reality is set, and he knows what's real and what's fake, but he's lying to Chuck. He's going to lie to the doctors because he'd rather die and be lobotomized so he can't hurt anybody and so he can't live with the truth inside of his head anymore rather than be Teddy Daniels and hurt people more often. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that he's Andrew and he just wants to he wants it all to end. He does not want to regress back into Teddy. Uh, and so he's just putting an end to it and also going to lie to the doctor saying that he is Teddy Daniels, U.S. Marshal. Which is tragic, Andrew. you know, because you, you want Teddy or you want Andrew to, to try to survive as Andrew latest. But and you want the Dr. Cowley's method to be successful, which technically it was at some point for especially such a severe case of Andrew latest. But unfortunately, you know, you can say Cowley's and everything he did on that island, he says, is gone now. You know, the reputation has been tarnished and it, no one will accept this treatment ever again, probably this for, for decades and decades, this psychotherapy versus lobotomization medically or physically. Yeah, and it's, it is a tragic ending because ultimately the role play worked, but it wasn't a cure. So Okay, it, yeah, I see that's that. The, that's the yeah. problem. So it worked initially, but it's not going to be a long-term solution and they can't keep doing this every six months. Exactly. And so... It's a great, great ending, great movie. Oh wow, that was that was an excellent episode. You got anything yeah. else? No, I'm I'm solid. I I think we touched it all. I just I really like this film. I think it's really terrific and one of the best psychological horror films of all time. Yeah, definitely of the twenty past twenty years. You got to put it on your top list of horror films just in general. And it's I think it's one of Scorsese's uh, underrated masterpieces. Yeah, it's so artistic. It's so surreal. Incredible. Great mystery. Great drama, action, acting is sensational, and wow, Martin Scorsese, one of the goats, if not the goat. Uh, you got any fun facts? Or did you sprinkle them in? I sprinkled them yeah, in, bro. Same, bro. Same. I bro. was like salt baying it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a few little fun facts and trivia's. The quote, remember us, for we two have lived, laughed, and loved, seen on a plaque on the way to the mental institution Ashcliff, is taken from Medfield's Vine Lake Cemetery. A contest was held to come up with a quote to be used on a stone marker as a remembrance of those who died in the 1918 influenza epidemic known as the Spanish flu. Throughout most of the storyline of Shutter Island, it is cloudy and the rain turns heavier as the story gets deeper. The sun only comes out in the final scenes. This is another reference to Freud, who described the subconscious as a confusing cloudy weather in opposition to the clear skies of the consciousness. The cast of Shutter Island includes two Oscar winners, Sir Ben Kingsley and Leonardo DiCaprio, and five Oscar nominees, Vax, Max von Sydow, Michelle Williams, Mark Ruffalo, Jackie Earl Haley, and Patricia Clarkson. All right, that's it for Shutter Island. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Hope you all have a great rest of your day. Be sure to become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take care, everyone. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.